I have with me a guy today. He's a fellow cop. He's also an army veteran. He's an author. He's a podcaster. This guy is everywhere and doing everything. Dexter Pitts, welcome to the program. Betsy, hi. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. So, Dexter, let's get right into it. Um, you joined the Army uh, after 9-11-01. What, what were you thinking back then? It's just like everybody else from my generation, you see the towers fall and you feel something in you spark that patriotism, that love for your country. And you know, hey, this can't happen on my watch. And not only that, but it was a combination of that and watching the movie Black Hawk Down which was like really inspired me. And I was like, man, I want to be like these guys that are up on the screen, these warriors, these heroes. And so I joined the uh, Army Infantry. And as you see behind me, I was with the 10th Mountain Division. I was a 11 Bravo machine gunner. And, and it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made, despite all the things that happened. You know, it kind of laid a foundation for my life. And it really showed me what true patriotism and what love is and what, you know, what when you love your country, the things you will sacrifice for not only a country, but your fellow countrymen and your brothers in arms. Well, and you truly did sacrifice. Um, you were injured by a roadside bomb um, that that essentially ended your army career, correct? Correct. Yes, yes, ma'am. That was on uh, January 2nd of 2005. We were in Abu Ghraib on route Huskies. And if anybody remembers the name Abu Ghraib, we had the little incident there back in the day where our army soldiers were abusing prisoners. And that did not make the people of Iraq too happy. And they went headhunting <laughs> and they caught me on January 2nd of 2005. So talk about that process of getting injured and finally getting back home. So when I got injured, man, we had been in the same spot for days and we parked there for a third day. But it's so weird how just that day when I woke up, I knew something was different. Something was off. Something was weird. And I could feel somebody watching me all day. And I remember communicating to my guys and my lieutenant like, I got a bad feeling, man. We shouldn't be here. And the next thing you know, I'm waking up, I'm inside the Humvee and just the pain is immense. And I'm 20 years old and thinking, this is it. This is how my life ends. And, you know, combat looks glorious in the movies, like in Black Hawk Down. But when you realize there's no director to yell cut, there's nobody to push a pause button. And if you slip away into that darkness, you're not coming back. There's no intermission. And so, you know, they get me out of the Humvee. Thank God everybody survives. But I suffered the worst of the injuries because the bomb, the IED, which was 2155 artillery shells, was literally up under my seat. And so it completely shattered my left arm. It blew my molars out. My back and hips were blown out of alignment. I had a TBI, suffered a, con a, con a large contusion to my head. And I mean, just and along with that, the PTSD that's developed from that and just seven months of continuous combat operations. So you made it home and you started to heal up and uh and then you made the decision to go into law enforcement where yes, you might additionally get hurt and talk about that process yeah so you know it was when you get out of the military you're kind of on your own you're looking like man i you know you're surrounded by these guys all the time the next thing you know there's nobody there and you miss that camaraderie and you miss that feeling of service and i was sitting at home watching a commercial and i saw a commercial for the Louisville Metro Police Department. And then I decided to go do a ride along. And I just remember looking at the officers in their uniforms, everything was dressed right dress and the gun belts. And I was, and just the way they talked and joked, I was like, oh, this is home, you know? And I went through the process and got hired by the Louisville Metro Police Department in November of 2009. And I was there until 
28 or 2018 when I left and joined the United States Border Patrol for a small stint. But I was in the Border Patrol for about a year. And then I went to a small PD in Arizona, but I made the choice to come back to Louisville in 2020, which was when the, the riots started after the uh, George uh, Floyd and Breonna Taylor incidents. And watch, being in Arizona, watching my city burn and watching the building that I used to patrol out of, seeing pro, I can say protesters, rioters, destroy that building it's it sparked something in me i was like i gotta go home it, it wasn't about money it wasn't about anything else but just i can't let this happen on my watch and if god has given me the capabilities to go and be in those situations and help people and protect the city and protect my brothers and sisters i'm gonna go do it and made that decision to take my family all the way back across the country from arizona back to kentucky to, to be in the front so when you went back to Louisville, of course, we're in the middle of, um, you know, the, that immediate post George Floyd situation, law enforcement, where there's just so much vitriol, so much hatred, so much vilification. And you go back to Louisville too, where you guys are also dealing with the aftermath of Breonna Taylor. Talk about that. You know, I've been scared a lot in my life. I was scared in Iraq, but I'll be honest, I was more scared in Louisville on the streets as an officer, because in Iraq, you got high powered, you know, weaponry, you got air support, you know, kind of know who the enemy is, but this is America, your fellow American citizens are, you can't consider them enemy combatants. And yet these, a lot of these people are trying to hurt you and kill you. And I remember uh, the, the night we got shot, we got shot at was on September 23rd of 2020, uh, I believe it was 2020. And I, my biggest fear was coming off the bus and getting caught in an open ambush with no cover, kind of like the incident that happened in Dallas, where the one guy went rogue and shot and killed five cops. And it happened. And I just remember those the radio call officers down that officer officers down and these guys are right next to me just ahead of me. And it still haunts me like and you could, I could still hear the bullets cracking. And it's been, you know, it's been, it's been all about what, two years now, but mm -hmm. it still haunts you, you know, it's, it's changed me and it just changed the way I looked at the city and the look at policing, but it hasn't killed my desire to do this job. It hasn't killed my desire to be a police officer and still bring honor, you know, and pride to this uniform of this profession. And I'll tell you, we, you know, and I remember that night as well, where we were, everyone was just stunned that you guys were taking fire. And what we were told was, and I still remember watching some of the media say, a largely peaceful protest. You were <laughs> you were on uh, the literally the front lines of some of those peaceful protests. Um, can you explain to folks? And you just did a good job, but go further. What is that like to stand on the line and have people scream at you, uh, yell at you, spit on you, threaten you? what's that like? It is mentally exhausting because in Iraq, like you say, you have a base to go back to, but here you have a home to go to and your family's with you. And as you're standing on the line, you have people, you sell out uncle Tom ass nigga. We're going to come kill your whole family. You know, we're going to rape your daughters. We're going to rape your wife. And I remember driving home after some of my shifts, I would be going about 90, hundred down the freeway <laughs> with my lights off and it's dark outside trying to see if somebody's following me. And then not only that, I take different routes to get to my place. And then when I get to my place, I don't park in front of where I live. I park a quarter mile away and I make my way through different avenues and woods because 
these people were, you could look in their eyes and see the seriousness that they wanted to kill you. They wanted to hurt you and your family. Cause they said, we're sick and tired of this treatment from you all. And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm not the one that's doing any of this. No, the police aren't the ones doing this to you all. These are small incidents that happen and that have been misconstrued by the media and politicians and unfortunately, police leadership that never addressed the lies that have been put out by these situations, which put all of us in danger and in peril, but not just that, our families as well. So it was a continual, I mean, stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. It was a combat deployment. This wasn't a police shift. This was literally a combat deployment. There was nothing peaceful about this stuff. There were people that were there to be peaceful, but at the, when, the night, when the lights went down at night, and we see people pull up in a U-Haul and start pulling out bats and all these weapons and shields. These people did not want to protest. These people wanted to fight. Right, and they wanted to hurt you guys. And, yeah. and, and again, I want people to understand this. It's, it's not just the cops they were going after, but, and this is what's so frightening to us who dealt with this kind of stuff. They wanted our families. Exactly, exactly. They wanted our most precious treasure. And Absolutely. Don't thank God, none of, I mean, we had an incident where an officer's, I forgot, it was some officer's family member got shot at. And they didn't, you know, and it was quick and it was quiet and we never heard anything else about it. You know, but I was, you know, come home and hug my wife and kids. And how do you love on your family knowing that there's people out there trying to hurt you? Like, how do you let your guard down? And you're constantly up here, elevated on red alert, ready for an attack. And you go like that for months, I mean, years. That, you know, that develops complex PTSD and officers. And now we're having to deal with the fallout of all this. And this all could have been avoided just by putting out the truth instead of playing politics. You know, it, it, and that's what baffles me about this whole thing. And like I said, it's changed. I've changed as a person. I've changed as an officer. You know, I've changed. My family will tell you I've changed. Anybody that went through any of this has changed. Right. And that, that is absolutely true. And, and police officer mental health is such a huge topic now and and the what we've been dealing with for the last two years has certainly added to that burden that american law enforcement experiences you know not just physically but emotionally right oh yeah oh and it's like i said i'm just actually coming off of a i've been battling with ptsd for years but it's recently it got worse the last two years i wonder why you know <laughs> But the one good thing is that we now have some things that are in place on the police department here in Louisville where we're letting guys go and get help and we're trying to take away the stigma of PTSD. That, hey, we're, we're not supermen. We're still humans. And the one thing I hate is when you have these super tough guys. I mean, I know a lot of Army soldiers, Special Forces guys, Navy SEALs, these big tough guys that nothing shakes them. But all of a sudden, this individual goes and kills themselves. And everybody's like, what happened? Why would he do that? Why? What? I don't understand. The man is a human. And you know what, just like our cars on the police department, you push your car for so hard, so long. And if you don't change the oil and take care of it, guess what? It gets redlined and it gets thrown out and it's no good anymore. And it doesn't operate as it should. And it is no exception for us as police officers. We, people need to realize we are humans, not robots. Right. And I think that's an important distinction because I think, you know, really since 2015, but, but especially in the last two years, Law, American law enforcement has been made out. We have been dehumanized. You know, we, oh, yeah. we, you know, we are made out to be these robots and killers and haters and, 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 and white supremacists and, oh, yeah. and all the black of this. face of white supremacy. 
<laughs> exactly. And that's, I, I just got to ask you, you know, you've been in the military, now you're in law enforcement, you know, you're very familiar with government and with the justice system. Is the American justice system, Dexter, inherently racist? No, but I will tell you, there, there is one thing I do agree with on the, le the left and Black Lives Matter. When they say that the justice system sucks, it absolutely does. I don't believe it's racist. I just believe it's garbage in general. I mean, we have individuals that kill people all the time and get released back into the community to reoffend. And then we have police uh, organizations like Black Lives Matter and the Bell Reform Project that lets these people back out. And then we have these encounters with them and then they get mad when this person gets shot and killed by the police when this person should have never been out in the first place. And we let these people reoffend the communities that are the most at risk especially the minority communities. And we keep letting the same predators back out. So I will say that is one thing I do agree with Black Lives Matter on. There is no justice in the justice system and it has nothing to do with color. It has everything to do with politics and money. That's it, nothing else. And that's the thing is we, we're now in a time where it seems like our justice system is more pro-criminal than it is pro-victim. And you deal, you, yes. know, you deal professionally with crime victims all the time. And I don't think people realize just how devastating it is to be not just to be a you know, victim of violent crime. That's horrible. But what it's like to have your car stolen or be carjacked or have all your possessions taken out of your house. Talk about that for a minute. And not even that is just the fact that they have driven so many good quality officers away from this job. And the fact that you're not going to get justice from a detective investigating your case, but it's going to take a while for somebody to get there. And there's no good, I'm not gonna say there's no good officers, but the quality of officers has dropped. And I feel bad because I swore an oath to protect and defend these people. And I can only do so much because I am only one man. And now we went through this whole defund the police thing. Well, guess what? If you want good officers, it takes money. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of time. And if you take away money, you get what you get. And you are seeing the fruits of all this now with the increase in crime throughout the, uh, the nation specifically mostly democratic liberal led cities you take a, you drive away good officers and you force them to retire early or to go seek other avenues of employment and careers you are left you're scraping the bottom of the barrel and that is what we are at now and unfortunately we are scraping the bottom of the barrel but like i said i i choose to remain in this job because somebody here who really cares about the people and believes in this job and this profession and i want to hold my fellow officers officers accountable but also want to hold our politicians and our police leaders accountable. We need to hold the communities accountable that, you know, refuse to turn somebody in. This is not just something you can throw at the feet of the police like we do all the time. There is not a one trick thing that's going to get this thing resolved. It is going to take, you know, all, all of us in the end to do this. It is a multiple facet approach to get this thing, you know, resolved. And it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And you're a guy who you do you don't just stand, you know, on the sidelines and yell at the TV or whatever. You decided to do some things. You wrote a book and you started podcasting. Tell us about the book. So the book is uh, I Am Pitt's Memoirs of an American Patriot. It takes you from my entire journey growing up, being in the military, getting out, my dad getting out of the military, being picked on by other black kids for being dark skinned and giving a little background on that. And then it goes into my time in Iraq being injured and then my time recovering at Walter Reed, becoming a police officer, and then also not just that, my divorce, and then my mother's suicide while I was on duty, and then my time in the Border Patrol, 
and then my time coming back to the riots. So and it encloses all that. But more than anything, what I want people to get out of the book is that America is not the evil, angry, racist beast that the media is making it out to be. You know, it's that it's just not the case. I don't anywhere I go, you know, I'm a very black man and I don't encounter racists every day. Hardly ever. Are they out here? Of course. But that is not the norm. And that is not the standard in this country. And the other thing I want people to take away from it is I need people to know what me and my fellow officers have endured for the last few years in this country. And so uh, there's not a lot of curse words in the book, but there are definitely curse words and some unsavory words when it gets to the point of the protest, because I need people to know what was said to us, the fear that we were feeling and say, this is just my perception and my perspective of the incident, but it has to be said. And right now I'm the only active officer in the country that has written a book referencing the 2020 riots. And you know what? I don't want it to be just me. I'm just one guy. And I know there's other officers with stories out there, but a lot of officers are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of, you know, repercussions from chain of command. But guess what? You are an American citizen before you put this uniform on. And when you put this uniform on, you do not lose your rights. I'll be damned if they can tell us we can protect and, and defend everybody else's constitutional rights, but we got to throw ours to the side. I don't think so. See, and that is so brave of you to say that because a lot of American law enforcement officers, and I run all over the country and talk to them, is they are afraid to say what they believe because they're, and, and they're, like you said, you know, they're afraid to tell the truth. They're afraid to fight the false narrative. And the false narrative that's happening now is getting more and more law enforcement officers ambushed and killed, isn't it? It is. And it happens it's daily, daily. And it drives me crazy. And because like I said, this could be so easily done away with if we just tell the truth of these situations and incidents. You know, do police always get it right? No, we don't always get it right. But 99% of the time we do, you know, just like the shooting they just had in um, Grand Rapids the other day, everybody's up in arms. And I'm like, if you look at the video from start to finish, that officer, you know, he didn't have no choice at the end of the day. You can't put this at the feet of the officer. This man made a choice to, to drive a car with the wrong tags. You know, we don't know his criminal history. We don't even know if the car was stolen. He decided right. to disobey the officer. He decided to run. He's decided to fight. He just decided to grab the officer's taser. At some point in time, we have to let people be held accountable for their actions and what they do. Because we, as officers, we are reactive. It'd be different if the officer pulled the guy out of the car and was like, oh, look, it's a black guy and shot him. That'd be, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, we can't do that. We can't. But right. that is not right. what happens. But that is the picture they're trying to paint of American law enforcement, especially with the black community. And that is not the case. I've seen more white officers go and save black lives than anything I ever have in my life. And that is the norm. And that is the standard. That is the men and women I serve with daily. And I will go to bat for the men and women in blue any day of the week because I know the character of us in this profession. Absolutely. Dexter, I just got to ask you, what, what does your faith mean to you and how does that help you continue to deal with post-traumatic stress and deal with all the frustrations uh, and trauma that you continue to experience as a police officer? Well, for me, my faith, it's really important because as a human being, you know, I believe you know, sin and hate is real. And if it was not for my faith as a Christian in Jesus Christ, I would be, get to the place where I would think that the people I'm serving, even those that I feel that don't deserve my love, that don't deserve my service, I would get to the point where I wouldn't want to do anything for them just because 
my nature is you've hurt people. You deserve to be punished. But that's why I'm not God, because God says you hurt people. But guess what? I still love you and I still forgive you and you deserve to be loved. And so I constantly have to remind myself of that, that if God can love me, who was a dirty, filthy sinner, and Lord knows, I tell people, I'm a rough around the edges Christian. If you listen to my podcast, the I'm Pissed podcast, you'll probably hear some stuff like, man, that was a little wild. And yes, that's me. (laughs) You know, I'm not the ideal Christian, but my heart is in the right place. And without my faith, I don't want to think of the person I would be, because I literally would be no different than the people out here in the streets making all these bad decisions. But my faith keeps me in alignment. My faith keeps keeps things in perspective. My job keeps things in perspective for me. When I think that my life is horrible and I start looking at other things, I'm like, you know what? My life is really not that bad. And I have something to work towards beyond just the physical, you know, and the, you know, the monetary things in this life. Right, right. That is incredibly well said. Dexter Pitts, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? So if anybody would like a copy of the book, I have a website, iampitts.com. You can go there and click on the, uh, Amazon button and the Barnes and Noble button, and you could take you to Amazon where you can buy a copy. Or if you want, you can buy a copy directly from me. Just send me an email at iampits at yahoo.com. And I'll tell you how to order a copy, autograph signed copy from me. And also on social media, I'm just getting on Instagram, learning this whole thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's a I am Pitts book on Instagram. And I have a TikTok at I am Pitts. And I'm also on Facebook at I am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot. I am a boomer, so forgive me not being as up to date on all the uh social media (laughs) we're all learning right i'll tell you dexter pitts thanks so much for spending time with us today i'm so excited to read the book and if you would like more information about the national police association visit us at nationalpolice.org put the gun down put the gun down last year Law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.